This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. Back when Donald Trump was still president, the Heartland Institute began writing about and fighting a disturbing trend. The imposition of non-pecuniary environment, social, and governance goals and policies on individuals, businesses, and industries, led by progressive corporate and governmental elites, ESG would have individuals, companies, investors, and retirement funds replace making a profit and pursuing personally chosen lifestyles with conformity with social, political, and economic environmental goals of woke elites in the boardrooms and nation's capitals. With Heartland's support, states have fought back, with more than a dozen now having passed one or more pieces of legislation defending their core industries from being shut down and their citizens' freedom from being hijacked. Indeed, Governor Ron DeSantis signed the most comprehensive anti-ESG legislation so far adopted just a couple of weeks ago. The Florida legislation adopts a wide range of policies proposed by Heartland's research editor Jack McFerrin in the most comprehensive analysis of ESG published to date, a study called, quote, Environmental, Social, and Governance Scores, a Threat to Individual Liberty, Free Markets, and the Economy. That report and its warning to the states is what he's here to discuss today. Jack, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on, Sterling. Yeah, I, I, the, um, the the bill signed by DeSantis recently was was very good to see, and I hope that it creates a, a domino effect in uh, in red states and, frankly, in purple and blue states. Every state should should do this, but. Yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a partisan issue. It should be Exactly. This is about defending your constituents, not letting them be hijacked by people uh in and not just DC, by foreign governments, by you know international leaders and by elites. Uh yeah. you know, at, at, at it, core, it, it's freedom versus slavery. Yeah. You know? And that's something that I think Democrats and Republicans can uh can agree on, or at least most of us. Yeah, um, you, you would think so. reasonable people should be yeah. able to agree on that. Uh, you know, um, the uh, the Democratic, the Republican. It's always been claimed that the Republicans, the party of big business, and the Democrats right. are the party of the little guys. All right, this this is this is the narrative that I was raised with, and it's, yet it's the Republicans that are fighting the big banks in favor of the little guys and the investment firms and big government. And it's the Democrats who are saying, no, 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 uh, Jamie Damone at, at uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and uh, the head of BlackRock, they know best what's for you. They know what's best for you. You should let them manage your money and do it uh, to support liberal political goals. That's crazy. It's funny how that completely flipped because you're right. I mean, for most of my um, life, you know, Republicans were known as the, the pro big corporation, pro Wall Street party. And, you know, uh, during the populist surge that's happened over the past, you know, a uh, decade or so, that is completely flipped, um, other than a few of the uh, more establishment type Republicans. But 
um, you know, Democrats are now the the stalwart warriors of the, you know, defending Larry Fink and Brian Moynihan and, and you know, these international organizations that are, you know, um, impeding our sovereignty and all that. And Klaus Schwab and stuff. Yeah. yeah, Klaus Schwab, exactly. Yeah, he's a big player. Um, but so, like you said, it, it shouldn't be a partisan issue. It has become one, but I hope that, you know, at some point I hope that we can reach across the aisle and, and get the other side to see. Well, if it, 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 you know, the, the hope is, I think, for, for me personally, that if, if they read your report, they'll, they'll see the wisdom in it and they'll come around. You know, that's why we produced it is this, that trying to convince people with reason, with logic, with numbers that uh, this ESG movement is uh, a bad deal for everyone involved, except for those profiting from it. Exactly. Yeah. So, Jack, before we jump into your report and how it plays into what's going on in the States, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to work at the Hartland Institute. Yeah, sure, Sterling. I, I mean, there's not too much to tell. Uh, I, I grew up in Chicago. I, I went to college out east at Boston College. I came back and I you went. You went to. Center. Isn't that AOC's alma mater? God, I hope not. I believe. Um, I believe it is. Oh, that's that's. But we're like the same age. Hold on. Um, <laughs> she, AOC. Oh. She's very young, <laughs> you know, for for a congresswoman, right? She she left there with a degree in economics and went into bartending. No, 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 no. She went to she went to BU. Boston University is very different. Uh, from, my apologies yeah. to Boston College <laughs> for besmirching their names with that association. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank God. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> you were about to burn your diploma. Yeah. I was, I was a little, yeah, I was a little triggered there. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, anyways, I came back, I worked, uh, in the private sector. I did, um, commercial real estate brokerage and, and analysis for about six or seven years. Um, and while that was a great experience, I just, you know, I wasn't really passionate about it and I wanted to do something that I was passionate about. So, I decided to go back to school and get my master's. Um, and during the course of getting my master's, I wanted to do an internship to, um, to just sort of check out the think tank world and, and see what it was like. And Heartland is in Arlington Heights. And it was an easy choice because I uh, ideologically aligned and still obviously align with Heartland's principles. Um, and after the internship period concluded, um, I was I was hired full time, and now I've been with Heartland for about two years, including the internship period. Um, and I'm very glad to be here. Mostly working on stopping socialism stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, so I have I have a couple of different I have two different like job roles. One is I, I manage the um, the research publication process in terms of, you know, timelines and editing yeah. and all that and getting those posted and stuff on the, uh, on the website and just making sure that every, every, every one of our research centers um, produces a quality publication uh, annually. 
Um, and then I also edit other smaller research papers and I contribute my own research. Um, and that's my role as research editor. And then I'm also a research fellow within our socialism research center, um, which involves a variety of things, but, um, it, it kind of interweaves with the research that I do as research editor often. Um, but most of what I do is I focus on ESG. I focus on uh, socialist policies for sure. I focus on um, our website, StoppingSocialism.com, uh, which uh, we are currently in the process of sort of revamping. Um, but that, that, that takes up a lot of my time usually. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's one thing that I love about Heartland is that I can wear a lot of different hats and uh, hone skills in a lot of different areas that I wouldn't at a different type of place where I'd be siloed in, you know, sent to a cubicle and told to do one thing all day long. Right. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, Jack, to the topic at hand, what is ESG? Who's behind it and how pervasive is it? Yeah, that's, that's a difficult question to answer succinctly, but, you know, um, okay, so first ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. ESG metrics have been uh, designed by financial elites and international institutions, basically, to fundamentally transform the global economy. Essentially, it's a form of uh, social credit scoring. It works by altering traditional frameworks used to evaluate business and investment decisions, such as risk assessment and capital and credit allocation. Um, so the metrics themselves focus heavily upon commitments to mitigating climate change and uh, alleviating so-called social justice problems. Um, and then these subjectively determined and politically motivated metrics are combined together into an ESG social credit score, which then determines whether the evaluated entity is, quote unquote, socially responsible enough to be worthy of investment credit or even an insurance policy. Um, and then the entities being evaluated, but by the way, are all encompassing. It's not just you know, uh, corporations. It's entire sovereign countries are given ESG scores, U.S. states, entire industries, uh, large corporations, small and medium-sized businesses. And we've been seeing um, lately that individuals are even being um, given ESG scores and are being tracked because of, because of their commitments to various objectives that, you know, they don't even know. Um, ultimately, what happens is that the entities with high or good ESG scores receive substantial capital inflows, access to special financial vehicles and preferential contracting. Entities that are, you know, scored low are punished. But and... Um, Let's, let's are, and that punishment involves reduced or completely eliminated access to capital and credit, which coerces them to get in line or die in the mine. 
to be clear, they're not being judged by banks, insurance companies, investment houses based on <laughs> traditional financial metrics. So do they have good credit? Have they paid their loans back on time? Do they make payroll? Do they obey various laws? You know, do, do they have a good compliance record with federal and state statutes? The things that would normally be what matters when making business decisions about whether you want to loan money or finance efforts by a company or an individual. Instead, it's sort of arbitrary social goals set by a particular set of people. Yeah, yeah, and and it's and I would say that it's it's kind of hard to track down exactly who is setting these goals, and that that's by design. But we definitely know um, most of the actors, and and I in my paper I I've grouped those actors into five different categories. Um, the first and perhaps one of the most substantial is the international and supranational organizations such as the UN, the World Economic Forum, which Klaus Schwab is the you know chairman and CEO of, and he's one of the biggest ESG proponents you know in the world, um, along with uh, the, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the Bank of International Settlements, um, and then you know regional organizations such as the EU. And others. Um, so this is a this is a full court globalist press. But to really um, to really make it more make ESG more powerful and push it past the boundaries that would normally exist, they needed to co-opt um, private business as well, or or at least partner with the private sector. Um, and so. Uh, that's where the next three categories of actors come in. The second uh, category here is large asset managers like BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, which collectively control at least $20 trillion between them. And they leverage this financial clout by directing investment to members of the ESG club and freezing out entities that don't play ball. And also my um, replacing board members uh, for, on, in, in companies that uh, are not deemed to be sufficiently motivated towards, uh, you know, climate goals that are set by, that, <laughs> set by the people at the top. Um, banks are, are the third category. Uh, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, any, any major American bank or, frankly, probably any major bank in the world um, is involved in this. Uh, basically, their role is to uh, deny lending or even basic financial services to entities that are not deemed uh, you know, sufficiently motivated towards climate and social justice issues. And the same goes for the fourth category here, which is insurance companies, which is Day, Alliance, Zurich. And uh, these companies refuse to underwrite policies for um, not even just a specific entity, but for entire industries, if, if they're able uh, there has been some pushback on that, like uh, because that's 
been uh, deemed monopolistic behavior. Um, I know that there has been some recent um, movement there, and I, I hope that that continues. But uh, that, that's what the, the insurance companies have done so far and what they hope to continue to do. The, the, fifth, the fifth category um, is very important as well, and, and that's the regulatory actors. Um, and, and that includes, you know, the EU and its, and its regulations that it's um, proposed and passed, which are talked about heavily in the paper at the end, and uh, which will have massive effects on, on the United States. But it also includes regulatory actors such as the, uh, the OCC, the Department of Labor, the SCC, and um, other, you know, members of the administ- of the administrative state, <clears throat> and their role is basically to pave the way for ESG. They're not like the tip of the spear. They're the people that are allowing the spear to permeate society. So you. You hear them talk about ESG, the people promoting it, and it's all about bringing everybody in, stakeholder capitalism, benefiting the environment, benefiting the world, making making the economy sustainable, things like that, right? So why, in your estimation, is ESG bad for people and the economy? <laughs> I mean, it sounds, it sounds, are- it sounds like it's uh, – you know, manna from heaven, flowers and the would, lion laying think, down with the lamb and stuff like that. You would think so. Yeah. But just like any um, authoritarian uh, sort of maneuver, they they cloak it with fancy words and promises that at its center, it's uh, about power and control. Um, so in, in response to your question, in my paper, I've grouped the negative impacts into six categories. Um, there are other problems as well, such as uh, ESG negative impacts on the environment, but I don't really get into that as much. The, the six categories are the negative. Econ- so first, there are the negative macroeconomic impacts. There have been a ton of studies that have analyzed um policy proposals such as the Green New Deal, which have a lot of commonality with the metrics um, in in most ESG systems. And, um, you know, the the cost is immense. The cost could easily surpass $5 trillion. It would incur significant job loss, would lead to substantial income loss for the average household. It would lead to a GDP loss of $15 trillion by 2040 if we were to implement these, these climate goals that the Paris Agreement, the Green New Deal, and the ESG systems um, propose and are trying to cement. Um, now, there's also many studies that have illustrated how ESG funds in particular uh, perform worse than their traditional counterparts, sometimes by very substantial margins. And uh, I, I cite a few of those in the paper. Um, another factor is that uh, 
food and agriculture is is heavily affected, you wouldn't necessarily think about that as the first thing. Um, but it's really, really vitally important to understand that ESG will lead to a reduction in the food supply. It will lead to a basically a food crunch. And and all you have to do is look at countries in which ESG has been fully implemented, like uh, Sri Lanka, which is at this point now essentially a failed state. They basically outside actors like international organizations coerced the Sri Lankan government to uh, shift completely away from chemical fertilizers, which is one of, um, you know, one of the main ESG climate metrics. And uh, with their, their, their crop production was cut in half and their government had to literally flee the capital. Um, we're seeing this elsewhere, too. This is happening in the Netherlands. This is happening in France. This is happening in Canada. And this is beginning to happen here in the United States. It's all because and, the ESG forces, you know, one of the things that ESG ranks bad is fossil fuel use in any form. Exactly. Any sort of hydrocarbon um, use, whether that's, you know, um, uh, any sort of any like you said, any sort of fossil production, but like also land use, chemical fertilizer use, uh, like um, too much water use. It's just it restricts companies' ability to operate and produce in a manner that is, you know, capable of of feeding the world. <laughs> I mean, we we already have enough problems and now we're trying to you know make people have less food because we want to save the environment ostensibly it's it's ridiculous food is incredibly expensive and if we reduce the quantity not only will people starve but you know food prices in general will go up for everyone even more yeah rather rather than raising those people still living in food poverty uh, in developing world and in the developed world, it would uh, increase the number of those people in those. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, and that, well, I've got some, I've got some more issues okay. about why I'll just run through them real quick. But um, the second one is that ESG completely does an end run an end run around d- democratic institutions and national sovereignty because it's like a the people that are doing it. It you know they're a public-private partnership that are developing these goals and policies without any authorization from Congress. And yes, there is some input from the executive branch, but you know usually it, you know if, if it, <laughs> Congress has been pretty much um, useless for decades now, but. Uh, they uh, they need to step up and regain some of their power because they're the only body that's going to be able to really che- uh, check this and create laws to to stop this. Um, moreover, the you know and and related to this, the uh, the administrative state is just 
you know, making rules that affect us heavily and, and they're not authorized by Congress at all. Um, and so there have been a few recent efforts to uh, stop some of these rules, but they have gone nowhere because of our current partisan makeup and because President Biden has his veto pen. Um, it's it's third category. You know, people talk about mission creep at the agencies. It's not mission creep now. It's mission blitzkrieg. That's a great, it's a great point. Yeah, it really is. That's a great term, and I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that. Um, <laughs> Um, the the other piece uh, I mean yes Jesus completely eviscerates individual liberties I mean it's designed to basically socially engineer individuals by reducing the supply of products that are deemed to be too you know uh, that, that are doomed, that, that are deemed to be detrimental to the climate, and um, you know, enhancing and and um, distributing the supply of uh, things such as I don't know, plant-based meat, crickets, um, <laughs> electric vehicles that uh, that they then try to get the consumer to demand. Um, and then so that that fund and that's related to the free marketplace as well, which I'll get to next. But um, it also just drastically changes an in, in individual's ability to really make an informed choice with his or her wallet. Um, and the other way that it restricts individual liberty is by completely eliminating uh, the uh, the meritocratic approach to uh, advancing um, in, a, in, in your job and society. All, I mean, every ESG system is uh, riddled with diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, you know, mandates. And they're, they're basically, and, and, that, and that goes for corporate boardrooms and it goes for, you know, the employees as well. If, if you don't hire enough Asians, but you have too many Hispanics, then you might get a low ESG score. I, I, it's it's completely arbitrary, but that's uh, it, it, it's more about your your ethnicity and the color of your skin than it is about your value or your sexual uh, which, or your sexual identification. Yeah, sexual. Yeah. Yep, that's a big piece too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I and then, like I mentioned before, ESG is is the antithesis of free market capitalism. You know, the the term that ESG correlates with most heavily is stakeholder capitalism, which was developed um, as an economic ideology by. Klaus Schwab in the early 70s, but uh, didn't really take hold until the past couple decades. Um, I really don't know how to sugarcoat this, except to say that stakeholder capitalism is basically just fascism and the clothing of socialist goals. Um, There is nothing about stakeholder capitalism that is capitalist or promotes free markets. 
Yeah, it's, it's about it, it's it, about corporate. It's corporatism. It's state-run corporatism. Um, that that is, it, it's it's right out of the neo Mussolini's playbook. Yeah, you leave you leave the 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 property, the companies in private hands, but you have third parties uh, direct what they produce and what they what business they're in. Uh, exactly. As yep. you know, so it's just another form of uh, national socialism. Is what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and then the other two uh, were so ESG wastes um, a tremendous amount of economic resources. You can get into that if you read the paper, but um, it's astounding how much money uh, is being and will continue to be wasted by some of these policies. Um, and then the sixth is that ESG endangers our our very national security. I mean. Our, our armed forces are being basically told to transition completely away from any vehicles or, or activity that emits hydrocarbons and switch to electric vehicles and switch to um, just, any, you know, green solutions. And very little thought has been put into or at least seemingly very little thought has been put into how much damage that will do to us, especially considering when, you know, other countries, our other great power rivals, such as China, have no, you know, interest in doing that. Yeah, they, they have no they're, they're They're increasing their fossil fuel use exponentially and laughing behind their hands as we uh, make ourselves less safe. I, I, I'll be honest. I don't want to be in the uh, uh, super bomber flying around the world when it's all electric. Uh, you know, I've seen them in, in 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 videos where how they refuel those things while they're on their long term missions, uh, flying a, a fueling uh, airplane. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you fly a, a battery laden. A battery-powered, battery-laden jet with a, a long extension cord up to a, a fighter bomber that's also running on batteries. I don't even want to think about I, yeah. it, right? I uh, uh, the, the battery-powered tank that stops in the middle of the uh, of, of combat, uh, not because it's out of fuel, but because the batteries, uh, uh, one of the nodes went bad. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, crazy. If the- it's crazy supposed climate activists really wanted to choose a solution that um, would give us a lot of energy that wouldn't be intermittent. They would go with nuclear instead of wind and solar. But unfortunately, people like Michael Schellenberger have now been, uh, you know, reduced to uh, conspiracy theorists, just like the rest of us that are appealing to sanity. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's kind of, those are kind of the main issues, um, of why ESG is bad. I, 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 I think there's plenty there to, to explain why, but I get into much more heavy detail in the paper itself. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's leave something for the people to read. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you discuss a three-pronged approach to fighting ESG. Uh, what, what are the prongs 
and how are they playing out in the states? Well, there's kind of um, there's two separate three pronged approaches. The first is at the state level. Second is three pronged approach, which incorporates state, federal, and international policy. So the first three pronged approach is um, basically the states have three different policy solutions that um, some states have passed, some states haven't, but are uh, taken together very, would be very effective. The first is um, pension fund investment. So some states have opted to um, outlaw or make it impossible for pension fund fiduciaries to invest the money of their, you know, their, their, their citizens into uh, environmentally focused funds um, or socially focused funds or whatever they, they, they have to focus only on pecuniary factors. Um, and that's, that's a great, they have That's to act. Great. They have to act as fiduciaries. They have to they, 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 uh, exactly. minimize uh, minimize losses and maximize returns to the public pensions and things. Exactly. Yep. Um, the second is somewhat related to the first, and that's um, the state contract prohibition. So, um, multiple states have made it illegal to execute contracts with, with powerful entities that push ESG like BlackRock and Bank of America and Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan Chase. And this is all done um, because they, because these, these big companies are basically boycotting uh, the industries in these States by uh, refusing to invest in them or lend to them or insure them. And these these economies, uh, especially the hydrocarbon extraction businesses, are uh, vital. Um, so these first two policies are great, and and they're a great first step. But the wait, third wait, wait, policy- wait, before we before we move on, let's let's expand on the second one a bit because we have examples here in Texas. You know, it's not just hydrocarbons; it's guns, right? You you don't you, you own a local gun yeah. shop, and suddenly. You're told, sorry, we're going to close your account. Um, yep. uh, we're not going to continue your line of credit, despite the fact you've been doing business with us for 30 years, because we've decided guns are bad. And so they shut them down. So the, the states are saying, if you do things like that, if you decide to to uh, undertake business activities based on political goals, ideologically aligned goals, um, then you can't underwrite bonds for cities. So millions right. of dollars can be extended. The state won't bank with you any longer. Uh, we'll take our money elsewhere. Uh, you can't uh, underwrite infrastructure for cities. Uh, sorry. And it's having an impact. It is. It is. And and you know what? I'm going to supply one just very concrete example of that that actually did occur in Texas, which I um, include my report, but there was a gentleman um, named Bud Brigham, who is the executive chairman of Brigham, Brigham Minerals. And uh, he testified under oath in front of the Texas Senate Committee on State Affairs that Credit Suisse 
which is, you know, a gigantic Wall Street bank, refused to offer him a loan unless he publicly supported the bank's climate agenda. Um, to quote from the Daily Caller, when he, you know, quote unquote, Brigham, reached out to ask why Credit Suisse had failed to respond to his application, Brigham claims a representative of Credit Suisse said the, said the bank might not be able to partner with Brigham, allegedly telling him that climate change is real and it's not debatable. Brigham claims that he responded that the science is ever evolving, prompting the representative to offer an opportunity to strike a deal, but only if Brigham parroted the bank's climate agenda. How can how about if I can get you some bullets to tweet? If you can tweet this out, I think there's a good chance that we can do this deal, the representative allegedly said. Brigham said he then received an email with the bullet points. So that, that that's just one stark example of how these people are being coerced and pushed around. But it's happening all over the country. So and uh, your third the, point, so, the third problem. Yeah, so the, the third problem is, is or the third uh, solution at the state level is um, – is based on basically prohibiting banks from prohibiting any financial entity from discriminating against their customers uh, based on non-material grounds, such you know ideological and political uh, grounds, and that, in my opinion, is the strongest uh, policy recommendation that can be offered because. It, it protects individuals and companies and corporations. It protects everybody uh, that's within the state uh, um, from the from these predatory ESG practices. Uh, and it's based on the fair access to financial services principle, which is ensconced in the the, the Dodd Frank Act. And it, you know, it, it's and and this is the key piece of uh, of policy that was included in DeSantis's recent legislation, and it is what made DeSantis's legislation um, so powerful and so impactful. And I can only hope that other states follow DeSantis's lead. He included all three of the policies that I just talked about in, in, uh, in the bill that he signed. Um, and I think that is the best approach from a state level. Okay, we uh, we we're uh, we're running a bit long, but uh, I normally ask big picture if you can make just one point. What's the most important single point you'd like our listeners to take away? But do you want to answer that, or do you want to answer? You said there's another three prong approach. Well, uh, what I'll do you think is most just, important? I'll just briefly mention that there are um, there are also solutions at the federal and international level. They're important. Um, you know, Congress has recently introduced multiple bills. Obviously, right now we don't have the uh, the, the political strength to pass them, but they should continue to do so. And we can only hope that they're able to pass these anti-ES bills um, in the next after the next election. Yeah, things um, that, things like that would prevent the SEC from requiring every company to. 
report on its greenhouse gas emissions and, and provide uh, a plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions up and down its supply chain, things like that. Exactly. That and, and of course, uh, uh, reversing the, the Department of Labor rule that allows uh, fiduciaries to consider ESG factors, um, which was vetoed by, which, uh, you know, was vetoed by Biden two months ago. Um, and then uh, there are international solutions. I, I'm not, we haven't gone into the whole European Union uh, piece of my paper, which is vital and very important, but there's not enough time to really speak to it. But in order to combat that, I, I, I produced some um, potential uh, foreign policy instruments that could be used to thwart the EU's mandates. Um, as to your question about if I could make one point yeah. about, you know, what listeners should take away from the paper and from this discussion about ESG, I would say that while there are clearly many extremely concerning elements, the greatest problem presented by ESG is the control being concentrated into an ever-tightening group of global elites and institutions. Ultimately, this whole thing is about power and resource concentration. The metrics themselves are being used as a smokescreen to achieve this. These people don't care about social justice. These people don't care about the climate. They're jetting around in their, in, in, their, in their private jets all the time when they, when they go to Davos for their annual meeting and, and, and other times. Um, the, the, the main issue is that wealth continues to concentrate at the top, power continues to concentrate at the top, and the middle and lower classes suffer and uh, devolve into serfdom. So that would be my main my main issue. You know, hearing you describe it all, it's it reminds me of a couple of episodes I saw of a dysutopian sci-fi show called Black Mirror. Uh, with oh, yeah. Social yeah. credit being everything and it just uh, – it's, it's nightmarish. Um, Jack, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners. Thank you, Sterling. Appreciate it and I'd love to come on more in the future. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Jack McFerrin and invite him back and the rest of us at the Heartland Institute. Please also continue to follow us as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. Also, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye.